Hi, I'm James Lawrenson, the Deputy Director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology, Sydney. Welcome to the ACRI Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nick Henderson, the Director of AsiaLink Business China Practice. Nick has over 17 years of experience in business development and operations in China, having played a crucial role in establishing IKEA's first stores in Shanghai and Beijing. Since then, Nick has assisted more than 100 companies in growing their business in the dynamic and complex markets of China. Prior to his current role at AsiaLink Business, Nick was the China General Manager for brand strategy firm Future Brand, a subsidiary of the Interpublic Group, working on projects for companies ranging from Alibaba to Daimler-Benz to the Liu Jiazui Group of the Shanghai Municipal Government. So as China's domestic economy and per capita income has grown since the beginning of the Chinese government's reform and opening up strategy, the opportunities presented by the Chinese market for global business have become widely known. Yet, the confluence of several factors such as geography, domestic politics and the celebrity status of major players like Alibaba, Huawei and Tencent make for an outsized economic impact, ensuring the bulk of international attention is focused on just a few large cities, Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, and Guangzhou, colloquially known as Beishang Guangshen. A 2017 Morgan Stanley report argued that private consumption in China could grow to US $9.7 trillion by 2030, with a major proportion of that growth not coming from the big cities, but being driven by smaller ones outside the major commercial hubs and the Beishang Guangshan metropolises. Nick joins us today to discuss the tier system of China's cities, commercial opportunities beyond the tier one cities, the on-the-ground on reality experienced by companies looking to do business and more. Nick, welcome to the Acri Podcast. Thank you, James. It's a, it's a pleasure to be a part of today's podcast. Nick, I'm happy to have you here because I think even at Acri, we tend to get lost on Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou and Shenzhen as well. So it's nice to be talking about what actually um, constitutes the majority of China, which is outside of those big cities. So maybe to kick things off, Nick, can I ask you just to briefly explain to our listeners what the tier system is and um, what is the basis on which a city gets assigned to a particular tier? Uh, James, the tier system, it's a classification uh, used uh, to classify different levels of uh, region, regions or cities, um, broken down into four levels, uh, tier one, tier two, tier three, and tier four. Uh, and there are generally uh, three uh, key classifiers that um, actually determine which tier a city is allocated to, um, really broken down into GDP size, uh, administrative power, that is, you know, where they sit within the scheme, are they... Uh, provincial level, are they city level um, jurisdiction, uh, and population. So um, the, the cities you mentioned just then, uh, Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, obviously all f fit within that tier one, given their GDP size, their po population, um, and their status, um, with the exception of Guangzhou being municipalities within their own right. Um, and then it's broken down to try to classify the different economic stages or, or status of cities around China. And it's not an official classification uh, that's used by the government, for example, right. but it's more, um, I think, a number of different organisations, whether they be media, academia, etc., have started to use this terminology 
and and it has evolved over time. But it's a really useful um, way to break down different cities. Uh, what is the state or of their economy? Mm-hmm. What is their economic growth? What is the size of that population base? Uh, and then to be able to put those into a tier two classification, for example, which means that GDP is is between sixty eight and two hundred ninety nine billion dollars. Uh, there's a population of say between three and fifteen million, mm. and then it goes down tier tier three, which is a GDP size of between eighteen billion US dollars and sixty seven billion US dollars, uh, and anywhere between sort of one hundred and fifty thousand people to three million people, yes. and so on. So it's a classification system, and it's useful for businesses to um, start looking at breaking down China. Yes, I think sure. in terms of markets and focus, and it's mm. becoming more and more important for businesses to do that uh, in, in the current uh, economic and competitive environment in China. And that, Nick, is what we're going to talk about today. When you were running through those numbers, I, I couldn't help but reflect that Sydney is prob- Sydney and Melbourne may just scrape into being Tier 2. So it gives you a bit of a picture, doesn't it, of, of the scale differences That's between right. China and Australia. So, Nick, you've spent a lot of time in China working with a lot of businesses, including outside those Tier 1 cities. Mm. So can you talk us through briefly some of your the projects that you've worked on, the experiences that you've had in non-Tier 1 cities? It's been uh, actually quite extensive over the years. Uh, And I think um, if we're looking, let's just look at a couple of sectors. Um, Food and beverage, uh, I think if we're looking outside of Tier 1, there are, you know, we're looking at populations, as I mentioned, you know, of cities with populations between 3 and 15 million people that have large and significant population bases. I mean, a couple of examples would be Hangzhou. Even though you would probably see Hangzhou as a, a soon-to-be Tier 1 city or an emerging Tier 1 city, um, it's certainly a very large economy with, with um, a consumption base and also a population with, with the spending power to be able to buy products um, to meet um, lifestyle, uh, I guess, aspirations and quality, etc. That's that's demanded by those consumers. We're looking at Xiamen as an example, Wuhan as an example, Chengdu, mm. so on. There are so many large economies within their own right that have offer significant opportunities. So I've worked with uh, consumer products brands on distribution strategies in some of those cities. I actually have done quite a bit of work in technology, working with some UK firms that are looking to access um, telecommunications technology opportunities, whether they be software or hardware. And a lot of, you just mentioned Huawei and and ZTE and a a few other of those telecoms, telecom equipment manufacturers. They also have hubs, um, R&D and manufacturing in places like Xi'an. They have um, hubs and operations in Wuhan. In these sort of environments where um, a lot of R&D for uh, the products that are that are manufactured by Foxconn in Shenzhen are all being uh, researched, and you've got these value chains, you've got technology value chains, you've got industry value chains that that um, that fall beyond uh, the tier one cities. Uh, technology right. is one example. Pharmaceuticals and drug research is another example. You've got quite a hub down in in Chengdu and and, and other areas of China where. Depending on what products uh, that you are you are selling or what services you're looking to uh, to promote into China, you're going to find the the value chains that relate to your industry yes, right. in different parts of the country. And it's yeah. and it, yes, it will be uh, as I, I mentioned, telecommunications. Yes, you have a hub in Beijing and Shanghai and Shenzhen. 
yes, for drug and pharmaceutical research, you have big hubs in Guangzhou, Shanghai and Beijing as well. But there are other pockets of, of um, areas of excellence or specific domain areas where you'll find uh, significant opportunity in tier two, three and four cities. Mm. Um, and I think as those tier one cities become more and more crowded and dominated by larger multinationals who've been in the market for a significantly longer period of time, the areas where there are opportunities are going to be in some of those other markets where there are opportunity spaces. Um, and that's that's where I think, um, you know, looking beyond the tier one cities is, yeah. is incredibly important for mm. Australian businesses. Mm. Certainly population bases between 3 and 15 million, there's, there's obvious opportunities Absolutely. there. So, Nick, before we start talking um, some details around how Australian business might exploit those opportunities... Can we just take one step back and look at the economic trajectory mm. of these lower tier cities? So when you travel around China, do you get the impression, or is it your view that these, you know, these tier one, tier two cities now are soon to be the tier one cities of the future? And likewise, the tier three cities, they're, they're on an upward trajectory. Um, or are some cities destined to remain tier three in, in, in China? I think there's, there's not necessarily a hard and fast rule I think um, with there are a couple of macro trends so the first is that um, there is the drive to urbanize the Chinese population so we're going to see uh, individual cities whether they be tier one two three or four um, urbanizing and, and growing and, and obviously population growing and, and economic activity increasing mm. albeit there will be the occasional downturn in the economy like there is at the moment. There is also the initiative by the government to develop um, super regions or clusters. Uh, and we're seeing that with um, the Beijing, Hebei, Tianjin integration. We're seeing that with the Yangtze River Delta. We're seeing that with, actually there's 20, around 20 that the government is, is trying to develop in terms of clusters mm. to um, get, I guess, economies of scale and scope out of urbanisation, but really trying to drive uh, economic activity and, and focusing those onto super regions. So I think from that process, uh, from those two uh, factors, we're going to start to see um, tier two and three cities, the growth rates are higher than the more mature markets. So, right, right. you know, we, we are seeing definitely um, above 6% GDP growth in a number of these, you know, tier two and three cities along with the, the increase in, in, um, in the middle class, even the different tiers of, of the consumption economy, of the affluence within those, those emerging cities is increasing as well. So there's a number, a number of factors at play. There are different speeds of growth and a lot of, obviously, um, implications as to what could influence that. But I think we are seeing significant uh, opportunity and, and growth opportunity from tier two, three right. and four cities, and that, that will continue to play out you know, for a number of decades to come. Okay. You're listening to the ACRI podcast with me, James Lawrenson, and our guest, Nick Henderson from Asia Link Business. Nick, you wrote something last year that interests me, and it really grabbed my attention. You, you said that in these lower tier cities, there's rapidly expanding consumer classes, and you said, and I quote, they're more receptive to quality imported products and services. Just briefly, why is that? Uh, I think I think as uh, wealth is created, as people's 
life's um, quality of life is increasing as their choice of products increases. And I guess information about what products are available through uh, digital and social media. Um, there is the desire um, to have a better living environment, providing a better um, education, a better quality of, of, of food and health for one's children and one's parents uh, and the society around them. So I think there is that driver once those products are starting to become available to have, you know, that they have, are able to afford yes, those products, yes. certainly to the, the clean, clean and green, um, the provenance, the high quality of, of Australian uh, products is, is going to get much more cut through. Yeah. That is compared to your tier one and two cities where let's just use Shanghai as an example. You know, I, I don't, I haven't, I don't know if this is an actual uh, fact, but I, I kind of feel that uh, Shanghai would happen to be one of the most competitive consumer marketplaces in the world. And if you're looking at the, the amount of choice for consumers in terms of products available from the international marketplace and the, you know, the, the huge amount of product that's available from domestic producers that have you know, amazing capabilities now compared to 10, 15 years ago, um, those markets are much more saturated. And I think almost, you know, these, a lot of imported products, higher quality products are almost expected in those markets because there is so much choice mm -hmm. in, in, I guess, tier three and four cities that may not have as wide a spread of products. Uh, within the bricks and mortar retail environment, of course, you can buy things online. Um, you know, there there is there is far less choice, and there is the the ability also to cut through to those consumers because of that. Right. Okay. I get the positive backdrop. You've got big customer bases, big mm. populations. You've got rapid growth rates, faster than the, than the national average. Yeah. And you've also got shifting consumer preferences yes. in a way that's favourable to potentially Australian businesses. Absolutely. Right. So that's that's the backdrop. Now, let's home in. We're the Australia-China Relations Institute, so we're focused on the bilateral relationship and we're particularly interested in the opportunities for Australian businesses in um, servicing this China market. So, Nick, can you tell our listeners a bit about where do you see Australian producers have a particular advantage, uh, a competitive advantage compared with producers from other countries? And do these advantages align with particular non-Tier 1 cities? Are there particular Australian companies and industries that you would expect to gravitate to a particular city in China versus other ones which might gravitate elsewhere? Uh, that's a, it's a really good question. I think, uh, you know, if we're looking at um, the breakdown of our key um, non-resources exports to, to China, um, services and goods. Uh, I think uh, we need to um, be looking to find niche and specific market opportunities. So let's, as an example, look at um, you know uh, training and education, or if we're looking at aged care, the provision of aged care training or consulting services to assist the development of China's aged care sector. Um, within within a number of tier two and three cities, there are significant opportunities because the government, uh, national and also provincial and local policy frameworks are really all geared up towards um, 
enabling the growth of certain categories of skills to be developed, whether it be aged care workers or whether it be certain skill sets that enable China to further industrialise and develop. Um, and I think a lot of those opportunities are not just in the tier one cities. They're certainly very much in tier two and three cities. Mm. Um, and that's across this, those sort of services all the way through to um, high tech. I think you'll find, again, I'm mentioning that you've got pockets of high tech sectors in tier two and three cities and consumer economies. I think the broad range of products that um, that we're selling and we're exporting out to out to China um, a lot of those products uh, will find, you know, over time we'll find really good um, niche, uh, well-targeted opportunities in, in certain tier two and three cities. Uh, and I think uh, it's just a matter of really building a, a deeper understanding of those particular markets uh, and aligning that to uh, where the opportunities are, um, where the competitive landscape may be a little bit um a little bit more open so that you can actually grow a market and you have a bit of space to grow mm. and not necessarily be involved in a very cluttered market space. Okay, Nick, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about the, the positives, yep. right? The growth, the big yes. populations, the shifting consumer preferences, the, the space to grow. Yes. Uh, that's all the good news story of the non-Tier 1 cities. Um, I'm assuming it's not all good news. Um, being in a Tier 1 city obviously brings some advantages as well. I'm, a, I'm assuming the, the regulatory environment, for example, is perhaps up to a higher standard in those Tier 1 cities, or maybe I'm wrong. But can you talk us through some of the risks, the, the not-so-good news stories that Australian businesses might encounter if they venture into these Tier 2, 3 and 4 cities? Absolutely. Look, I think... Um there are a number of number of issues, I, I guess. Um, when let's say we're looking at consumer products, um, or we're looking at um, you know getting product from A to B, uh, China uh, is, in terms of its supply chains and in, in terms of its sales channels, is is rather fragmented. And the further you go out, uh, and we're looking at a lot of these tier two and three cities are also in central and western China, which are vastly geographically um, distant from major ports. The challenges of, of um, getting product to some of those markets um, and then maintaining quality standards. Now, for example, if, if you're going to be shipping products that are um, temperature sensitive, uh, making sure that that cold chain is maintained throughout all of that process and distribution channels are often more fragmented. Um, retail environments may not be as mature um, and general business conditions may not be as, um, I guess, used to working with Western businesses and actually conducting businesses in those places may be a lot more challenging. Uh, that being said, um, you know, I think, I think that uh, creating a success in the China market has never been easy uh, and it's not going to get any easier. Uh, and I think... Um, for businesses to build a long-term business in the market, they need to really, um, I guess, invest in capability and invest in the market and actually go through part of that journey where the market spaces are, as I keep on saying, that were there 15 years ago, but it's in those places where, where there are going to be the opportunities. But they are often very challenging places to do business because they're not as developed as as. Um, as your Shanghai's and Beijing's and T1 mm. cities in a number of different respects. Mm. So, Nick, um, clearly these non-Tier 1 cities are, are environments that many Australian businesses haven't 
gone into yet, um, despite the opportunities that we're talking about today. Uh, perhaps my final question for you would be this one. What there must be some companies that have done it before. Um, are you able to list some examples of Australian companies that have successfully gone into Tier 2 cities, for example? And are there, um, are there lessons that you can distill from those companies' experiences that the companies that might be thinking about this could learn from? I'll give you just one example, and it's, uh, I find it's an amazing region, it's an amazing uh, area, is, is around Chengdu. Uh, and, you know, there was a specific uh, policy undertaken not only by the central government but the Sichuan province, you know, probably a decade back of really opening up the west of China and, and not only just, um, you know, creating the infrastructure and investing in the infrastructure but um, creating entire ecosystems. So if we're looking at um, Chengdu, there's an auto um, sector but you've also got a very large um, ecosystem for um, consumer electronics and IT. So you've got semiconductor foundries, you've got whole whole ecosystems that feed into um, the development of, of value-added products. Uh, and, there, and you also have some great education, great universities mm. out there. And, and one example of an organisation, it's not an SME, but um, it shows that uh, even large organisations, ASX listed organisations, are engaging in tier two cities. Is is uh, ANZ have an R and D centre based out in Chengdu, which does a lot of a lot of technology based support for um, you know different software and, and projects that are being undertaken here in Australia. And uh, that's just one example. It's I, interesting, isn't it, Nick? Because you don't often hear those stories, do you? In in reading the newspapers each day, yeah. and you've got organisations. Um, Cochlear um, are looking to invest in Chengdu as well mm. and bring entire Australian healthcare um, ecosystems along with them. Mm. So there's a lot of a lot of investment that's taken place in, in places like that. We've got the Burnett Institute out of Melbourne that uh, set up um, an organisation a number of years back in Nanjing, as an example. You've got a lot of Australian businesses out in Nanjing as well. So um, I think there are a lot of organisations that are engaging. Uh, I guess the, the key... Um, thing to get across to a lot of businesses, especially those that are really starting to engage with the consumer market through e-commerce, is that in order to grow a long-term sustainable business in China, you also need to be looking at um, diversifying channels, not just relying 100% on e-commerce. Even when you are marketing, you can be marketing to specific geographic regions to get the most cut through. But for the bricks and mortar, the physical retail environment, to understand where the opportunities are you can phase into a long-term business. Nick, AsiaLink business, you're the director of the China practice. What have you got in your agenda in the coming months? Uh, we, we're doing um, actually quite a lot of work engaged in the tourism sector. We've, um, we've, we've got a partnership with the Australian Tourism Export Council and we've been working with uh, a number of businesses. At the moment, we're doing a pilot out on the Great Ocean Road with 15 business owners, and we've been taking them through on a uh, couple of months of a journey where we do um, four modules on developing their capabilities to really effectively serve or to provide a hosting environment for Chinese travellers. So we're really looking at, we've, we've got another session um, 
in Port Campbell next month. Um, so we're doing a lot of work in the in the tourism sector, and also we're doing a lot of work with um, businesses in give, providing them insights to enable them to to actually put a market entry strategy together for China. So we do a lot of work. Um, I do I, I do walk the talk. Um, we do a lot of work with businesses where we're helping them to put together um, distribution sales channels throughout the country and phasing market entry approaches, not just looking at at, at um, tier one cities. So helping them to, uh, I guess, demystify and to put strategies in place to, to create um, market entry um, and hopefully long-term success in the market. So they're the sort of things that are keeping us busy. Um, we're also doing a number of events as well, focusing on things from cosmetic regulation all the way through to fashion KOLs and all sorts of things. So uh, things I won't are pretty be busy. able to help you with that one, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> You're more than welcome to attend. <laughs> well, maybe I could do with a few tips. Nick Henderson, thanks very much for joining us in the ACRI podcast. It was fabulous having your expertise um, to share with us today. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much, James. You can subscribe to the ACRI podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Or listen to all episodes on our website, australiachinarelations.org. There, you'll also find more about ACRI's research and events. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at ACRI underscore UTS, and on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.